Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season three of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, August 21st, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we bow our heads and humble ourselves before your throne of mercy and of grace. As we begin our Bible study today, we ask you to join us in the study of your word. Anoint my lips of clay so that your word goes forth in spirit and in truth. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross so that you only are seen and heard in this Bible study. Bless each person within the sound of my voice and be you glorified. Will you bind the powers of the spirit of darkness so that not one evil deed is met against this ministry or these your people? In Jesus' name, we ask all these things and give you thanks even now in advance for answered prayer. Count it as done by faith and in accordance with your word. Amen. Ladies, today we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel. This is a book that many women may not want to read, first, because it is a difficult book to read, and second, because many identify Ezekiel as a misogynist, meaning someone who despises or is strongly prejudiced against women. They have arrived at this conclusion based on the sexually explicit imagery in several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, particularly in chapters 16 and 23, where some of the imagery is violent and abusive against women. It is going to take us quite a bit of time to work our way through the entire book of Ezekiel, and we will do chapters 16 and 23 together because of the nature of the text. But I hope you will hang in there with me as we work our way through this interesting text, because there is more to Ezekiel's sexually violent imagery than that which first meets the eye. I fully understand that this text and its long history of interpretation has done some serious and irrevocable harm to women, but we must still question what drove Ezekiel to write such sexually violent imagery, and what were the historical, sociological, and cultural forces in play at the time of Ezekiel's writing that make these images symbolically and rhetorically powerful today. When we come back, We're going to continue our study on the book of Ezekiel, examining texts from Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel, examining text from Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. And I've titled this lesson, An End. I am not going to read all of the verses of the chapter because they are rather long, but I will refer to them as we work our way through the text for your future reference, and I will either read from the King James Version or the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. 
Ladies, Ezekiel chapter seven is God's address to the land of Israel. And it doubles back on the themes in the oracle against Jerusalem that we examined in Ezekiel chapter five, verses five through 17, two weeks ago. Further, it establishes a link between the land and the city in Ezekiel chapter seven, verse 23. The judgment against Jerusalem is the focus of the oracle in our text today. And the sword devours those outside, as the sword devours those outside the city, famine and pestilence consume those inside the city. See Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 15. Since the oracle does not refer to a plurality of cities, Jerusalem is the most obvious reference. Also, the term Haman, which was used in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 7, to describe Jerusalem's rebelliousness, reoccurs here in chapter 7 in the refrain, which says, for wrath is upon all is Haman, in verses 2, excuse me, in verses 12, 13, and 14. This refrain conveys the idea that the turbulence has spread from the city to the land. And then finally, in Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 21 through 22, we see the suggestion that the temple is a treasure place that has been profaned by idols and that God is going to hand over the enemies for future desecration. As such, even though Ezekiel chapter 7 portrays the complete judgment of the entire land of Israel, the city and its crimes remain a central concern. So let's unpack Ezekiel chapter 7. In addition to further developing the theme of chapter 5, Ezekiel chapter 7 also establishes a formal connection with the symbolic acts in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 22 through Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 4, that we studied two weeks ago. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 23a, a command to perform the physical gesture of, quote, making a chain, end quote, interrupts God's declaration of his intention to destroy the city. The command is addressed to Ezekiel and is regarded as a symbolic act and read as the last of a series of actions that summarize the stages of Nebuchadnezzar's defeat and victory over Jerusalem. The symbolic act of binding is uh, Ezekiel in chapter 3 verses 22 through 27 represent the deportation of the elite of Jerusalem society in 50, uh, 597 BC. Remember that the goal of this de deportation was political control rather than destruction. The chains in Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 23, are an indication of Nebuchadnezzar's second and final siege and the punishment of the rebellious Zedekiah, see Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 8 through 13, and 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 11. Ezekiel's condemnation of the land is concerned with two things. First, and primarily, the land has become defiled by the crimes of its inhabitants. This defilement echoes the flood traditions when human wickedness caused the land to be cursed in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, and Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The consequences of this judgment is great, just as it is in Ezekiel chapter 7, which depicts the collapse of the entire social order. 
The second concern of Ezekiel's condemnation is the zealot debate about the status of the exiles compared to that of the remaining inhabitants of Judah. Those left in the land believed that the covenantal promise of land had passed to them. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 24, Ezekiel quotes the invocation of the Abrahamic tradition, which says, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given to us. So Ezekiel's condemnation of the land prevents attempts of the Jerusalemites to claim election through squatters' rights. The land has come under judgment because of the pride and arrogance of those dwelling in it. If there had been any special claim of election attached to possession of the land, the claim was denied in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 25 through 29. Looking closer at our text, Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, begins with an address to the prophet, introduced by a messenger formula as an address to the land of Israel. When you read the text, note that there is no command from God to the prophet to speak. Rather, chapter 7 continues as disclosures of God's word to the prophets, such as what we encountered in chapters 5 and 6. The oracle begins by exclaiming, and in. This is the title of our lesson, and in. Verse 2 says, and in. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. And again, this is referring to the entire land of Israel. Verses three and four describe the end in terms of the judgment previously announced in Ezekiel chapter five, verses five through 17, where the land will be judged without pity and punished for its abominations. The it's in or it ends with the recognition formula, and you will know that I am the Lord, which is not addressed to the land, but to the unnamed third party, presumably Ezekiel's readers. Verses five through nine describe a disastrous end. It says disaster after disaster. See, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. See, it comes. This disastrous declaration mirrors what has already been declared in verses 1 through 4. And even the innocuous declaration, it awakens against you, translated as the end dawns upon you, announces the collapse of social and political life in the land of Israel. It is interesting that the imagery in Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 5 through 9, associates the end with the time of harvest. But it's not hard to see the connection because harvest time invokes images of ripeness, suddenness, and decay at the same time as that which is ripe can also soon spoil. This is most clearly seen in verse 7b, which says, the time has come, the day is near, of torment, not of reveling on the mountains. So that what should have been a time of rejoicing at the harvest becomes mayhem or chaos, 
as the significance of the end becomes clear to God's people. The inversion of expectations spelled out in verse 7b is reflected in the word doom. While the people assume that God's day will bring triumph and blessing like that symbolized by a garland of glory, they will instead be crowned with a net or a lasso that will carry them into exile. Verses 8 through 9 repeat the formulatic expressions for mercilessness that occur in chapters 5 through 6, which have uh, we have already studied, and it recapitulates God's declaration that he will judge the land. In verses 10 through 27, we see the effects of the end. Verse 10, which is the third announcement of the end, is linked to the oracle and is use of the catchwords, it comes, and the word doom. Verses 7b through 11a says, the rod has blossomed, pride has budded, violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. Here we have imagery employed from the natural world to describe the fruition of Israel's sins, pridefulness, violence, and wickedness. The rod could be a reference to the sins of Israel or to the power of Babylon. See Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5. The rod in verse 10 and 11 might symbolize the arrogance of Judean political power. In a stair-step parallelism, the lines convey the growth of arrogance into wickedness. Verse 11b captures the doom that is in store. It says, none of them shall remain, not their abundance, not their wealth, no preeminence among them. Subsequent references to the despair of the king prince and people of the land in verse 27 support this understanding. The description of the disaster begins with the source of the rebellion and circles back to expose the dismay of the leaders at their downfall. In verses 12 through 18, we read of the first cycles of effects of judgment, where the approaching day of doom is seen first in a frantic attempt to gain security through the sale of property. Because this unit as a whole involves the land of Israel, the commercial activity of selling property likely revolves around the sale of ancestral land. Verses 12 and 13 assert the time has come, the day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what has been sold as long as they remain alive. For the vision concerns all their multitude. It shall not be revoked because of their iniquity. They cannot maintain their lives. So all of their commercial activities are permanent and irrevocable because selling property was not an occasion for making a profit as in our capitalistic society, but rather a means of raising much needed funds during times of economic hardship. And this is why the seller mourns when he has to part with his property. Verses 16 and 17 says, if any survivors escape, they shall be found on the mountains like doves of the valleys. 
all of them moaning over their inequity. All hands shall grow feeble, all knees turn to water. These images emphasize the effects of the judgment. If fugitives escape, they are found in the mountains, moaning in their iniquity like doves. This image evidently uh, revolves around the similarity of the sounds of the words for valley and moaning. Trembling in fear, survivors lose control of their bladders and urine runs down their knees. The survivors adopt physical symbols of mourning and shame by donning sackcloth and shaving their heads. See Ezekiel chapter 27, verse 31. And this is the crown that has come out to them in Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. All of their power has come to nothing. The second cycle of effects of judgment are found in verses 19 through 21. It summarizes the patterns of verses 12 through 18. Note that the first cycle focuses on the physical effects of the day, but the second cycle probes more deeply into the spiritual causes and effects of the disaster. Buying and selling continued in the first cycle under severe conditions because in verses 18 through 20, silver and gold lose all value. This imagery combines two separate prophetic motives. First, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, silver and gold is thrown into the street because it cannot deliver the people from the Lord's wrath. This idea is developed in Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 19a, which says, They shall fling their silver into the streets. Their gold shall be treated as unclean. The second motive Uh, examines the economic imagery of the more fundamental question about the nature of Israel's trust. Verse 19b describes gold and silver as nothing more than stumbling blocks of their iniquity, a phrase used to describe Israel's erroneous trust in its idols. The reason Ezekiel says that gold and silver have become stumbling blocks is because Israel has used them to make idols of its abomination and worthless things. And this idolatry provokes a corresponding response from God. The people made idols that were abhorrent to him. So God makes the idols abhorrent to Israel by turning them into unclean things. See verses 19 and 20. The term for uncleanness employed here is nita, which is associated almost exclusively with menstrual impurity, though it does have a more general meaning of impurity in a few contexts like in Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 18 and 20. The root meaning of the term is distancing in either a physical sense, such as to flee from, or a moral sense, meaning to find important. Both senses are expressed in Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. The former, when the Israelites physically throw away their gold, the latter, when God renders the idols as important to Israel as they are to him. Wow. The imagery becomes more marital when God hands Israel's wealth 
over to the nations to be defiled. The nations are the foreign nations that surround Israel. God also averts his face so that the nations will enter and profane even his sanctuary. The idea of hiding the face refers to the withdrawal of divine protection. Now, to me, this seems a little bit odd because all of chapter seven has emphasized God's activity or God's active presence in the judgment. However, it is worth noting that the expression is used only in connection with God's sanctuary, not with any other aspect of defending the land of Israel or its population. Also, the expression is used in developing the theme of distancing that has introduced or was introduced with the idea of nida or impurity. In verse 23a, the tone shifts from an impersonal declaration to a personal command, make chains. In Ezekiel chapter 7, the chain seems to be targeting the city's leaders because verse 23 says, make a chain for the land is full of bloody crimes. The city is full of violence. The expression bloody crimes is better translated as judicial murder, which is a reference to legally sanctioned abuses of power that harm the weaker members of the community. Those who commit crimes and are responsible for the abuses of power are the political elite who use the legal system to their advantage. See Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 9, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, and chapter 22, verses 6, 12a, and 27. In verse 24b, God declares, I will put an end to the arrogance of the strong. Again, this would be the political elite. And their holy places shall be profaned. It is for these strong ones that the chains is forged. In verse 23, their houses are given to others. They are expelled from the land. And the closing verses indicate that arrogance has come to an end as all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem tremble. In the final verses, there is a division of labor between those who advise and those who rule. The advisors include the prophets, skilled in seeking vision and divine revelation, priests skilled in interpreting the traditions, and elders whose purview is that of practical wisdom. Their silence is a result of God's withdrawal. The rulers are the king, prince, and people of the land, and may be references to Jehoiakim, who Ezekiel regards as the legitimate king in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, and Zedekiah, who had been installed as Nebuchadnezzar's prince, according to Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 10, and chapter 23, verse 30. The people of the land are land-owning citizens whose military responsibility, with military responsibility, because the advisors fall silent and the rulers mourn. Ladies, Ezekiel chapter 7 is magnificent in its translation. Through its imagery and mounting fear and horror, it recreates for the reader the experience of God's day of judgment, which is a terrible beauty. While modern readers are unwilling to contemplate this aesthetic, it should be given consideration for its contribution to an understanding of living a moral life. 
The message of Ezekiel is a doctrine of retribution. At issue for contemporary reflection is how retribution is carried out. Our Western understanding of Old Testament retribution is of God standing outside and above the world and imposing judgment externally, which implies that human behavior is regulated from the outside rather than from within. This way of thinking survives in popular culture and is reflected in statements like, you're going to have to answer to God for that. This kind of humorous tone trivializes offenses and demonstrate how meaningless the concept of retribution has become in today's world. However, if the concept of retribution is not meaningless, it runs the risk of infantilizing the moral life. And as long as punishments are perceived to be separate from the action themselves, people do not learn to see the consequences of their actions. In Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, God appears as the agent of judgment. Other images in the chapter depict judgment as impersonal. For example, the end comes, it awakens, pride blossoms, and so on. As such, while God actively executes judgment. This judgment is God's refusal to avert disaster that Judah's behavior has unleashed. In verse 9 of our text, God says, my eye will not spare. I will have no pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are among you. Ezekiel is suggesting that the divine punishment was understood as a combination of externally imposed judgment, and internally triggered disasters. In ancient Israel, God's work within the forces of history lent integrity to human actions by ensuring that they had logical, moral outcomes. In this way, God allows every member of his people to achieve his or her appropriate destination. This sense of the interconnectedness of human actions and their consequences is reflected in Ezekiel chapter 7. Using metaphors that capture the irony of human pretensions to power and security, and the, uh, the oracle clearly suggests that these pretensions will be their downfall. The crown, their very longing for power and supremacy, is the noose that strangles them. See verses 7 and 10. Getting and spending turned into worthlessness and waste. Though God clearly intervenes, he does so as a facilitator of the disaster that the people have already brought upon themselves. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tithely app at Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. Second, at Givelify, G-I-B-E-L-I-F-Y.com. You may donate to Broken Vessels hyphen Mended and Whole. Or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Please join me next week as we continue our Bible study of the book of Ezekiel right here on Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice. That's J-A-N-I-S. 
Nelson today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.